Welcome to the Adversity Psychologist podcast, a podcast incorporating narratives about facing and navigating adversity, a mixture of people, their experiences and professional psychological discussion. I'm Dr. Tara Quintarillo. I'm a qualified and regulated psychologist with over 20 years experience of mental health, disability and human behaviour. I want to share people's stories of navigating adversity in the hope that through being heard, a dose of compassion and some understanding, we can help others in the face of adversity too. Hello everybody and welcome to this episode of the Adversity Psychologist podcast. I'm Dr. Tara Quintarillo and today I have with me Becky Hughes and I'm really delighted. I know Becky from my community project and she's come on to talk to us today. I'm going to let her introduce herself because as I say, I do not do my guest justice when I do it. Hello everyone and thank you Tara for having me on today. As Tara said, my name's Becky and I am a personal trainer with a background in event management and all sorts of things because I came to fitness a little bit later in life having had a rocky history with it for the first three decades and I qualified as a personal trainer during the lockdowns of COVID and I largely did so because I discovered that it's possible to be a cancer specialist personal trainer and that links back to my own lived experience as well. So I've decided to move forward in helping other people who have been through or going through that journey as well as other people who are similar to myself and have had a traumatic or just difficult history with fitness and exercise and moving their bodies. Do you know what? That's what's really interesting then. So I know a little bit about your background because obviously we know each other outside of this podcast, mm. but also just thinking that resonates with me, people who may have an on-off relationship with exercise or bad experiences. Um, so actually today we're getting two great bits of advice on this podcast, aren't we? Is it all right to ask you a little bit about your journey then? So people might be thinking what's brought you towards fitness then? How comfortable are you in sharing your story what's happening yeah fully comfortable so I share a lot about this on my social media and my blog as well which I'll give the links to at the end and in in the show notes maybe um but yeah I grew up in a very middle class very normal very loving environment and um my parents encouraged me to try as many things as possible and give things a go but I was very much marked out under the air quotes banner of not sporty as a child and from a really young age. Um, So I was also quite academic and I think people do tend to be boxed into one category or the other. Um, And I very definitely fell in the academic box, which I do consider a big privilege. Um, But as a result, fitness just wasn't as much of a thing. And my parents encouraged me to have at least one sport that I did and enjoyed because it is good, I think, for young people to learn and to to move their bodies for so many reasons. And I was always into horse riding. So I had riding lessons avidly. And it's again, such a huge privilege because it's not a cheap hobby uh, or an accessible one. Um, But I grew up riding, had that quite idyllic part of my childhood. And when I went away to university, that unfortunately and very sadly for me, mostly fell by the wayside because of, again, money and access. And I still just continued with the dogged belief that I wasn't sporty. And also, like a lot of people, I hated PE at school. It is, by and large, a very not positive environment and experience. And it just doesn't encourage young people to to take up sport, uh, I think, still. Um, I'm 35, and um, so people will 
assess where I was at at what year. And I don't think much has changed very sadly. So um, I just never saw exercise as a necessity or a priority. Um, I was very lucky. I was mostly fairly healthy. I had surgery for a, a very common condition when I was 18, but I recovered well. And it just wasn't on my radar. And then through my 20s, I suffered more and more and more just increasingly from mental health issues. And some of that was related to having a, a very sedentary lifestyle as well and a, a stressful job and a, a difficult time with, with my career. And um, I experienced a burnout and a breakdown in my mid-20s and dropped everything and, and moved home. And that was the start of this very slow process of processing my entire life to date and coming to terms with it and realizing that I needed to make some serious lifestyle changes. And so it took me until I was almost 30 to figure out that exercise should probably be a part of my life. And I had to learn that lesson by myself because various friends had tried to encourage me in a few different ways through the years. And I had just not wanted to know. Um, but I got there on my own eventually. And what's really great is um, I was on quite a low income at the time. So I knew I didn't have a lot of financial resource to throw at getting fit. And that is a barrier to entry that the fitness industry definitely needs to address. And so I looked around for the options and I decided and I thought that fit people ran. And so I thought, well, then I should run. And fortunately, our local council still runs the course that I did and it is a learn to run course, which a lot of people think sounds really infantile because a lot of people hear that and go, but didn't you do that as a toddler? Didn't you already yes, have that yeah. ability? <laughs> and yes and no is the answer. But essentially, it's a 10 week program, which is free of charge to residents of the district or people who are otherwise eligible. And you go for an hour a week to have a group session and it essentially takes you through the Couch to 5K program, but at a much more steady and empathetic pace. And you are encouraged to be an adult about it and to, to give feedback and you're not pressured and you're not forced and it's not boot camp. Um, so it took me a lot of courage to sign up and to turn up. And it was also January. So it was out and it's outdoors. So it was cold and it was wet because this is the UK. But I did it. And it felt a bit like PE sometimes, because I think that was some of us having flashbacks a little bit. Of, I was uh, just thinking that. Individual <laughs> trauma coming up. But we, I got on and I did it and I was really proud that I'd got through to the end. But I got to the end and I still didn't love it. And I was never experiencing what people call the runner's high. And I thought, well, maybe that's just not what I'm going to get out of it. Maybe I'm never going to love it. Maybe I'm just going to accept it. And I'm just going to still do it because I know it's healthy. And then at the time, um, a documentary went out, which people may have watched. It was on the BBC called Mind Over Marathon. And it was about amateur runners receiving coaching to run the London Marathon. And I really clicked with it. Um, one of the coaches on that said that you need to be strong to run. And I'm, I'll have to paraphrase his words because it was a few years ago. But I do remember him very clearly. My message that I took away was that he said that you needed to be strong to run. And I thought, oh, and a little light went on. And I thought to myself, well, maybe I need to be stronger and then I'll enjoy running. So I found a gym and again, still didn't have very much money. So I went for a very low cost one, very low commitment one, took up my courage to walk in the door and it instantly knew I needed help. So turned to the person next to me who was showing me around and said, how much is personal training? Went with a very minimal commitment, what I could afford and what I could also make work for me in terms of the value for money that I would get and um, had personal training once a month, went to the gym once a week by myself. And then as the months ticked by, I realized I still wasn't enjoying my running sessions that I was doing away from the gym, 
but I was enjoying feeling stronger and I was starting to feel more comfortable on the gym floor. And then I re-injured my ankle, which I'd first done at university, um, not doing exercise. It was a drunken injury. (laughs) Um, Ankles never fix. (laughs) If I could have one thing, it would be two good ankles. Um, And that was the end of my running career. I took that as a sign from the universe that I was not to run, but I was to be strong. And that was it. From there, I flew. And I loved the increase and the gain that you can make and the power that you can feel and the differences that you can see and appreciate in your body from getting stronger. Um, And that was the back end of 2017. The following year, I got diagnosed with the tumour in my abdominal wall, just as literally just as the ankle injury, I got signed off from physio and the ankle injury was determined to be better enough, as good as it would get. And then I got diagnosed with a tumour the following week. Right. Um, So it had been coming. There was overlap. So the diagnostic process, I'd been to the GP, I'd been to a couple of hospitals for tests, and I got the news the week after I I um, finished the physio. And so I had ended up having surgery later that year. But I walked into surgery having actively done what I now know is known as prehab, prehabilitation. So I had gone on a quite... I had quite intensively trained myself and thought, I need to be strong going into this surgery. I need to be as strong as I can get. And that will help me through. And it did. I wasn't allowed to go to the gym for six weeks, which was understandable, but I was allowed to walk. And so walk I did. And at three weeks after surgery, I went back to the hospital and the the consultant and the physio said, so how have you been? What have you been doing? And I said, oh, I've been walking almost four kilometers every day and I've been negative splitting each kilometer. And both their jaws just fell open. So negative splitting means that you meet, you go each kilometer is faster than the previous one. Even if it's by a second, it counts as a negative split. So I was building on this, on the pace each walk. And it's quite an intensive form of exercise. (laughs) And for someone who's just had their abs rearranged, it's quite a lot. Um, So they were shocked and they said, oh, you really are determined to go back to the gym, aren't you? And I said, yeah. Um, and then I still wasn't allowed to lift heavy when I first went back, which I understood and I couldn't have done it if I'd tried. But once I was, it just went up and up from there. Um, and I know my strength and the foundation of training that I had got me through the recovery quicker and smoother. And so that was what made me realize it all just fell into place at that point in terms of I was 31 at that point And I knew I was like, I can see the future now. I can see myself being a much healthier older person than my grandparents have been than other relatives are because I'm already building that foundation in my 30s and if I could do one thing other than not break not busting my ankle aged 22 it would be to go back and convince myself to go 10 years sooner to the gym that kind of power of hindsight isn't it Mm. something that really struck me there is that exercise or strength building really if we're going to focus seems to have actually become part of your life so rather than something you do it seems quite value-based is that right and is that a helpful thing for you yeah it's not kind of ticking a box because I know some people with exercise get very caught up in the must do and should do's and sometimes that really has an impact on motivation doesn't it yeah well some days it's a must do and some days it's, I really want to go. I know I need this and I really want it. Um, and I walk into the gym going, yep, yeah, I'm going to accomplish that goal today. Or I'm going to really value and appreciate this workout because 
I enjoy how my body moves. So it's interesting. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that quite before, but yeah, it's definitely it can be one or the other. Or and sometimes it's still, I'll be completely honest, there are days when I don't really want to go and I don't think I'm going to enjoy it. And I go because I know my body and my brain will appreciate it. There's especially as you age, we all get a bit stiffer and or we do silly things or we're anxious and we don't sleep well. Um, and you just know you're not going to get especially as someone who has pulled off good performances, when you know you're going to have a poor or a sub-average one, that can make it hard to go as well and to be motivated if you're used to performing really well. Um, So yeah, I don't always feel 10 out of 10 up for it and leap out of bed and dance into the gym full of the joys. But I've, and sometimes I don't force myself. Um, I am quite flexible in that approach. Um, But yeah, most of the time I will still go it's really interesting i was talking to someone professionally this morning about motivation um oh. and the kind of things that influence that kind of psychosocial factors as we call them but also how your brain functions the mm-hmm. role of memory and history and just thinking back to your relationship with exercise sport gosh that really resonated with me about kind of PE lessons and how mm-hmm. stale they could be at times um but also kind of I'm just thinking the, the role of shame as well when, when I was at school the kind of you are and you aren't you're not a runner you're, you're this or you're yeah. academic or even within sport you aren't that but you're better at this and you know if you're not doing so well you'd get moved to something else rather than maybe yeah. be encouraged to get better at it or to learn to like it and being less about winning or being good at it but just is it enjoying you're moving your body so there's something there's so many things you've said so far that really resonate and I think will resonate with listeners but there's something about your history with sport with exercise learning to kind of make room for sport and exercise in life but Mm -hmm. seeing then the value in it so from Mm -hmm. what you said actually from quite early on that relationship between moving your body and your mental health so your emotional health Mm -hmm. which I think will resonate with a lot of people and then how you've managed to incorporate that into your recovery from a really difficult period in your life you know looking back now on that time is that something that might have led you to wanting to do what you do now in terms of your business then helping other people who've oh, been through similar journeys significantly so one of the moments when probably a pre-seed was planted for that idea is the first time that I went and met my consultant surgeon so I was treated at the Royal Marsden in Chelsea um, referred through the NHS to there um, due to the type of tumour that I had and that being one of our here local tertiary centres and the first time I went and met with him so you know he has seen a piece of paper with my name and my diagnosis he's seen some scans he hasn't yet met me face to face so I walk into the room I'm 31 and I'm a year and a bit into my weight training journey and at this point I knew I really enjoyed it and I knew I would want to get back to it and I also I, I was sharing a horse at the time as well so I knew I wanted to get back to riding too I had a horse in my life so those were two of my big priorities were getting back to lifting, getting back to the horse and getting my life back and going going back to work. Those were the real things that I was really looking to make sure I accomplished through treatment. That day, we discussed the option of surgery, but it wasn't laid out as a definite. He wanted to wait and watch, which was a valid, we had a big argument about it, but it was a valid form of proceeding and um but we did talk about surgery as a very real possibility and I said look I've been through surgery before I wasn't an exercise person at the time but I do know I did get back to riding after that surgery and I do know that there will be a period of time where I'll have to wait and I'll have to be patient but it is my priority to get back to the gym if you do end up operating and 
he just said, he said, okay, yeah, you will have to be patient. And I said, it's fine. I understand. But I said, I just to, just so you know, I will expect support from a physio and I will prioritize that through my recovery and I will want you to help me. And he seemed quite shocked. And I'm 31 and I'm, for the benefit of, of the listeners, I'm able-bodied as well. And I just, I couldn't quite believe that exercise hadn't entered his head as a as a part of the conversation or any other real lifestyle factor um because it's not just what you do in the gym it's being able to carry a shopping bag it's what we call in the fitness industry activities for daily living being able to wheel your suitcase through the airport it's being able to walk from a mode of transport to your friend's house carrying a present for their birthday it's all of those things that you don't realize until you have a major surgery in particular that you can't even carry a book and when I went back for my next appointment, I had to have a scan at that hospital. I hadn't had one at the Marsden before. So I had to go up to the imaging department. And that is quite a profound experience because the Marsden is a specialist cancer hospital. And I'm sure that will have invoked some images in a lot of people's heads. And the ones you are picturing are the truth. It is a lot of people who are suffering from treatment related alopecia. They're wearing wigs, they're wearing scarves. They also look quite ill. Um, I felt a lot of feelings walking into that room because I, from the outside, looked very healthy. I can imagine. Um, and I was on my own two feet. I wasn't in a wheelchair or on a on a bed, and I didn't have anyone accompanying me either. Um, so it was that experience has really stuck with me. And I was probably the person in the room with the best prognosis. But despite, and I was the youngest in the room, but that was, I think, just coincidence. And Despite all of that, I just thought I can't be the only one in my 30s or in that neighbourhood. Even people in their 60s or 70s who are receiving cancer treatment are perfectly entitled to want to live an active, fun life. Yes. Yeah. Um, Your life doesn't end until you die. And, you know, if, if you want to go out dancing and enjoying food and appreciating time with your loved ones, you should be equipped to do that. And sometimes you do need to therefore be, have a level of physical capability. And I think that's something that we should all be supported in that goal. At that point, my brain just went on a mission to go, if I get through, I want to be able to at least share my experience with other people. I didn't want to necessarily train them at that point, but I did want to, I did think to myself, I've got to talk about this. I've got to tell people that you have to advocate for yourself and you have to ask for these things because it's not just coming to you unfortunately the system needs to change from the top down and the medics need to be doing more to support people's ambitions in that way and to let them know that they can have a life even if their life is on a time limit and is ending um but that's where I wanted to come from and that's how it started really so interesting because you were saying about the kind of top down and that that shift that's needed and you know quite often with patients I look at top down and bottom up and I'm thinking that actually you bringing that idea even just having that conversation with that individual consultant what that may have planted in terms of a possible seed but you know when we go on to look at what you've done in terms of setting up your business and identifying a need there that you can help with that actually that's you isn't it bringing that to then hopefully create some 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 core change as well um I was thinking then actually you know just that autonomy being able to speak up for yourself that can be very difficult for people anyway but if you're unwell you're on a cancer journey you're in the middle of chemo all of those factors will impact how able people feel you know the energy the motivation to stand up for yourself or to think that you can 
you know some people you know fear all of those emotions can get in the way can't they so I think it says a lot doesn't it that you're able to advocate and what were your next steps though what did you what did you do next I'm sure a lot of people are just waiting now to go well what do you do with this because a lot of people have ideas it's very different to then put it in place isn't it um I can't remember when I first met the physio which I feel really bad about now that I think about it because she's fantastic and I'm still in touch with her. Wow. Um, she was so incredibly supportive from the very first moment I met her and she was an absolute star with me. Um, but as I said, she was just supportive from the get-go and she really took me as an individual and listened to what I wanted to do. And I remember saying to her when I knew I was going to be having surgery and when I knew I was going to be admitted for a couple of nights of inpatient care, as a result, I said, look, I want you to send me home with some exercises. If they're the most basic rehab ones, ones I know you will have things that I can do in bed or in a chair around the house while I'm waiting for that time when I can go back to the gym. Because I said, I know I still wasn't a personal trainer at this point. That was still two years away. But I knew that I, if I just sat still at home or just walked, ambled around the house, I wasn't going to be able to effectively go back to training and to start building myself back up after six weeks of just nothingness. And I also knew, again, thinking back to the activities for daily living, that having those rehab exercises and committing to them was going to mean that when I wanted to get behind the wheel of my car again, because I live in a rural area and driving is really important to my lifestyle. Um, And just to be able to be confident to go and walk around the local town or my village um, without thinking that I might keel over or not knowing how to get myself back up if I did trip and fall. So to know, to be able to get used to my body again, because it's a big change, your, your body goes through and brain goes su- such a readjustment when you have surgery that I, I knew I would need that confidence. And she said, yep, that's fine. We'll go through the exercises. I'll come visit you every day on the ward and we'll go through them. We'll make sure that you're confident getting up out of bed, doing other basic things. And I'll make sure you're doing the exercises properly. I'll send you home with a sheet as well. So that's what we did. She was great about helping me get up and out of bed for the first time go to use the bathroom. I was also really privileged that my mum was able to come and help care for me. She came and visited and was there all day every day while I was in hospital and she was listening to all that information as well and helping me out with getting around the ward and um, helping me have my first shower and all that sort of thing. That's it's all really super challenging stuff and it also meant that she was able to help me when I came home as well because I live with her. Yeah, so Lucy, the physio, was was brilliant and um, she sent me home with my exercises. I hated doing them. They were so tedious, but I knew they were good for me. And also I, I found this place in my head where I was like, this is your gym moment. When you set the clock and do those exercises, this is now you mentally at the gym. You can't go physically. You can't do the stuff you would do there, but this is gym time now. So I got through and I did my walking as well. And then when I was allowed to go back to the gym after six weeks... She didn't really have a lot of guidance for me, other than I still wasn't allowed to lift more than about five kilos. My personal trainer isn't a cancer specialist or a surgical rehab specialist, so we winged it between the two of us. Unfortunately, he listened to me and knew what I could and couldn't do, and when I was just trying to get out of things that I didn't want to do. Absolutely, <laughs> and <when> I, yeah, because <laughs> that is part of my job and part of his job as well. Let's let's be real about it. So. Um, we worked out a program together. I had my PT session. A couple of days later, I went back to do it myself, had a full on panic and a meltdown towards the end of the session, became utterly convinced that I'd injured myself, drove home crying. And so the first thing I did was pick up the phone to the physio department and ask if Lucy was there. And 
by a stroke of luck she was because she's often out and about on the wards or yeah. um, in clinics yeah. seeing patients and she actually answered the phone and I, and I was just crying and I was like Lucy it's Becky I've been to the gym and I think I'm hurt and she was like I'm sure you're not it's okay and she just calmed me down asked me what I'd been doing <laughs> and, asked, and figured out because I wasn't even in much pain or discomfort there was no external wound or anything I, I had literally thrown myself into this huge huge panic um and she said it sounds really good what you've been doing and she said it is she reminded me it is gonna be difficult it is gonna feel uncomfortable physically and emotionally but she said it sounds fine try again and if it's bad again call me or come to the hospital and we'll sort you out and that was it after that I was fine sounds <laughs> like you were really heard yeah you know, she, she did. was listening to that and yeah. Yeah. If, if she hadn't been available to speak to that day I'm not sure what I would have done probably kept crying on my mum and panicked more but she, I saw her at most of my consultations um and she continued to be really supportive even though all she was basically doing was coming in and clapping because I was just getting better and better and she was really supportive when I told her that I had done the training course that I've done um and she has heard of it because some of the physios at the Marsden have done the same training as me which is quite cool that's quite a little feather in yeah. my cap and yeah, so we've stayed in touch. We're connected on social media and um, I know she's she's following, but I owe her and my surgeon and the whole, whole team um, because he was part of a documentary on Channel 4 this summer and it did show how big of an operation, it, uh, big of an operation the Marsden as a unit is and um, there are so many people who were involved in my care. I counted it up at one point and I think it was at least 40 between all of the, you know, theatre techs and healthcare assistants and cooks in the hospital and receptionists that I've seen in outpatient. And yeah, so I owe them all a lot and they were all brilliant. I'm very, very privileged. Just, you know, we'll have to give them a shout out as well, won't we? Yeah. <laughs> if they listen to we do. Super Surgeons, it was yes. on Channel 4. It might still be on their online platform. If it is, it's a it's a challenging watch, but it's a worthwhile one. I'll definitely check that out. Because there's something, isn't there, about, we've talked about you, your history, movement, kind of how sometimes you may have been pigeonholed into things or noticing that difference between a sedentary lifestyle and your emotional health, mental health, but then kind of taking all that, the system that's around you, the support you had from your mum in your recovery from the hospital as well, which I think are all things that impact motivation, aren't they? And, mm. you know, and, and having compassion for yourself, allowing yourself to be looked after, allowing people to look after you and be compassionate towards you might actually help you in terms of being compassionate to other people in terms of kind of setting up your business then so now you actually work and offer a service to people who have been through similar journeys to yourself um and ha have you got to a point yet where you've begun to have feedback on what that's like because for me I'm just wondering not just with the what you can offer physically but just emotionally to have someone who goes this matters and that you need to have this tailored service if that's the right choice yeah, of words yeah, yeah. you know for someone to have identified that and that gap <laughs> Yeah, I I have had some really fantastic feedback from both my cancer clients and my non-cancer client. And um, one of my cancer clients has given me a quote that I will treasure forever um, because she said that hiring me is the best investment you can ever make. Wow. So there you go. Better than crypto. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get that one on T-shirt. I think you should. Yeah. So um, that was really lovely. And she left me this beautiful long review which does go into all of the mental health side of things as well um she said it was like having a friend and a therapist although I do very carefully protect that boundary um and I know she name checked the lived experience 
um, power, the fact that we have that connection. And yes. um, although I, the only treatment that I had was surgery, I haven't been through chemo or radiotherapy, um, although it was part of my studying for my cancer exercise specialist qualification. So I don't have that lived experience and I am honest about it. But there's so many other ways you can emphasize, um, empathize because I think the public understanding of cancer is that the experience is chemo and radiotherapy and yes. possibly yeah. surgery. I was just thinking that how many people have yeah. that kind of... So it is interesting because, and the problem is, it's because certain side effects are so visual and we yeah. tend to find out about these things via visual platforms. You know, I remember it being a really big deal. Um, EastEnders first did a, a, a cancer storyline. And um, I only found out recently that they used a person who who had been through cancer, who had had a mastectomy as a body double for the, um, for the actress. Right. And so that they could show her touching the flat wall of her chest without overly padding the other side or strapping down one side of the real actress um so things like that and and that is the thing it's it's really the cancer community and I'm I'm going to get really um stoked up about this in a second <laughs> because I hate all of the war rhetoric and all of the battle language and it always yes. rises up when there's yeah. a public death um and it is deeply frustrating, much like the way that mental health is represented by people in a tunnel and people clutching their heads or people sat under a desk crying and tissues. It's just because the media needs a visual. That's how it gets represented. So everyone thinks that cancer is losing your hair, throwing up a lot um, and dying. And it's not limited to those three things. I'm happily living proof. I didn't do any of those things. <laughs> and so it's that, you know, you're from what you bring, I'm just thinking now for anybody listening now that you've got that lived experience, but yeah. your lived experience may be very different to the next person's, the next person's, and that's okay. Um, and I imagine as well, you know, that you were talking then about the boundaries, you know, that actually it seems like you can fulfill multiple roles for people, but mm. I think that's okay as well. And you're a very bounded person. We know that, don't we? Yeah. Um, but that actually to have someone who can hear you in your journey because if you have someone who's done something that's really rote learned for example you've been in a course and this is how it is is actually that could be extremely invalidating for some people who that's not their journey experiences. yeah and again the general the wider fitness industry gets some justified criticism for that because yeah. Yeah. the typical image of a personal trainer again like I said about the radiotherapy um radiology unit at the Marsden when I say personal trainer people are probably picturing a cishet white man who is very muscular and has a certain body image, one that fits the body, the beauty stereotype and the yes. air quotes accepted beauty standard. Um, and unfortunately, yes, a lot of the fitness industry does look like that, but a lot of it increasingly doesn't. Um, and there are now personal trainers of all shapes, sizes. There are some ones who have disabilities, um, people of all colours and people of all gender identities. Um, and we are slowly breaking through in that way. Um, so yeah, and so the fitness industry can get a bad reputation for not relating a man who has always been fit and strong, who was marked out from school at be as being athletic, but perhaps not being academic, but he's comfortable in a gym and he is happy in that yes. environment and that is his home. And then a woman walks in with all of her PE trauma and potentially having been through weight loss clubs and um, those kind of groups where there's also a lot of trauma and stigma and a lot of a lot going on and she has just continued to feel bad about herself and those two things clash <laughs> and it doesn't go well and it's because they don't relate to each other's experience so that's a very big generalization I will ad happily admit there are some excellent 
yeah, it's a powerful metaphor, though, isn't it? And I'm sure that actually that will resonate with many, many people. It's that fit, isn't it? You know, I talk about fit when I see patients. It's not just the clinical background, but that fit between two people. And yeah. um, I'm sure many, many people go, actually, do you know what? What are those barriers? There's not just internal barriers to motivation, but actually if you're meeting with someone which you don't think is able to get you or your own preconceptions and things are showing up. And I'm just wondering, is that something that made you also say, I've had two arms, don't you, to your business? It's supporting people who've been through cancer or who are. But then there's also, I was really interested right at the beginning that you said, actually, those people have that tricky relationship. I'm going to use the word relationship. Yeah, do. Um, and those people that, that might want to be improving their health, their fitness, you know, they, you know, it might be about body image, whatever it is that's bringing mm. them to exercise. Um, and is that is that something that you noticed that made you branch out into that? Or was that just from your personal experience? Do you think were there observations as well from other uh, people? Again, I know because I've lived it, I know that I'm not the only one. And I know okay, that yeah. there is, again, power in sharing that story and that there are people out there that I can help. Yes, um, yeah. So if help, if sharing my story does that, then that's fine by me because I'm quite happy sharing these sides of my story. Even before I became a personal trainer, when I was in my early stages of my own fitness journey and tentatively sharing some the odd photo about my progress or a bit about my experience or oh, I had a really nice session today I really enjoyed it I'd get mostly friends sometimes strangers send me direct messages and say um the, that I really appreciated that post and I'm still not ready to do it yet myself but you've made me think about it in a different way or you've wow. got me closer to taking that first step and so those messages are really encouraging for me and I will post anyway because I'm just someone who likes to put their feelings out there I need to get it out of my head and either into the ether or onto a page but that little extra bit of encouragement does help um, and it is nice to hear that feedback and the fact that someone's even been as brave as to send me a message which is then mine to do what I want with I never would without consent but we all know everything can get screenshotted. The internet is forever. I could be sharing that. I could be doing the dirty on those people and I absolutely will not. But it, so it's it's brave even to send a private message because as has been proven this week, no such thing as private messages are there. I was just thinking that actually that, you know, when some <laughs> people are there looking at your journey, thinking actually, do you know what, that could be me. Maybe there is a beginnings of some motivation there or some values they want to tap into, but how brave to be able to reach out and message yeah. and actually you know one of the things obviously we met through my community project and some of the people that come to that have said actually they want to come along but there's so many barriers there's sometimes mm. stigma it's a, a walk and talk project but so many people have said exactly that that they message and go I'm watching I really like it I want to come I'm loving what people are sharing about their experiences but I think that is often part of the journey and I think that sometimes really helps for a core shift you know it's not just a tick box I must do this I should do it but you know being able to sit watch and I, one of the things I love about your social media is it's really visual. I, even just your business cards, when you look at all those things, it's, it's you. It's not just a mm. kind of a verbal about you. And I, I often think myself, actually, I think that will really resonate with people. But just, you know, allowing people to be vulnerable. And you're really right. You know, I don't have a great relationship with gyms. I've often walked into the gym. I get really intimidated if there's groups of people by one piece of equipment. And I, I'll go for a little bit. And then I haven't been for years now because I just think it's just not me. And then that could become a bit of a fixed mm. concept, can't it? That you don't have to be in a gym in order to enjoy some of the exercises and things no, and I love the fact that you've just taken that box and helped people step outside of it and go well actually what could this look like and 
I, I love the fact it'd be great, isn't it? Somebody else said on a podcast interview I did, you know, it'd be so great. We're really privileged as psychologists and probably as personal trainers that we keep people's information private. But what would be yeah. lovely is if we, there was a way that those people could get those experiences out there. Because if people could hear <laughs> the feedback you've had, yeah. it would really help, wouldn't it? More people well, to, it's to come along and It's why I do ask out. for the reviews and it's why I ask yeah. for people's comments. And if something happens in a session that I can redact enough, um, and make it a blind item enough. Um, I have done that a little bit on social media, not so much on Instagram, on other platforms. I've done it a little bit. Um, So yeah, if I see a situation or if I get asked a question once or more that I think, oh, that would be useful for other people, I then feed that into my content and it, it filters through in that way. So there's ways you can do it without breaking your confidence and without stitching someone up and without also ruining your professional reputation and everyone has to make that decision for themselves and I think you do have to have a certain level of skill as a communicator to go through that process and make that decision and craft that message but happily I've been doing that for a very long time so I know I think where the boundary is and where I can play with those messages a little bit and share snippets without also betraying a confidence or betraying someone's trust. That kind of creating a safe space as, I, as yeah. I call it sometimes. So one of the things I read about you as well is that kind of off the back of your brilliant business, being able to help people and their road to recovery, the bigger picture of trying to make a core shift, maybe with professionals, with NHS in terms of perhaps looking at these things, is the kind of advocacy that you do around mental health. And I thought, is that something that you'd be able to talk a little bit about for us as well in terms of where that fits in to your work yeah. as well? Yeah, I'm happy to talk about it. I It's interesting. I haven't made that a huge part of my content for quite a long time and that's because I've been trying to promote the other side more and also I do come from the school of thought where mental and physical health should just be seen as one thing. I have read a huge amount of probably too much some people would say self-help and I love learning more about um, the nervous system and all of our responses and memory and all of that sort of thing so if I can get hold of it I normally will read it um but a lot of my the specifics of my journey I have kept a little bit quieter on but I don't mind sharing um I have had several rounds and types of therapy all via the NHS I haven't stepped out of that bubble and paid for any of it privately um but I went through my burnout back in well, it's hard to pinpoint the start, but it all really fully came crashing down at the end of 2012. Um, and 2013 was when I moved out of London and back to Sussex and had to start making at least some steps in recovery. Um, and it's really hard to think back to that point and recognise what the differences were in our societal perception yeah. of mental yeah. health issues, how it was covered in the media. I mean, one of the big things for me is... Um, one of the cases that people will recognise and resonate with was Amy Winehouse died in 2011. And she is widely recognised as having suffered significant mental health issues. And those, no doubt in my mind, that those contributed to her death when it did happen. And look at the representation of that. Look at the representation of other people who have suffered similarly since and who have died since people like Caroline Flack is a a strong example there um and sometimes I get really frustrated because I do think a lot of it's lip service and I I don't like the it's okay not to be okay and the talk to someone because it's so reductive the hardest thing in the world when you're really really struggling is to reach out and talk to someone it's not as easy as anyone makes it sound and 
but it's still, we have come a phenomenal distance already. There is still such a long way to go. And mental health care via the NHS in this country is, in my opinion, abysmal. And that's a systemic problem. Um, that's how the NHS was set up, unfortunately, and how it hasn't evolved since and how it doesn't support people in that way. And I know there's so many problems that it can't be fixed in one conversation. But we have made progress and we have made progress because people are bold enough to talk about it. Um, and so although sometimes talking about it feels like a drop in a bucket and it feels cheap and it feels like it's not making a difference, we're not going to get anywhere otherwise. You know, I am sat here hoping and hoping and hoping and crossing my fingers that developments in psychiatric care continue in this country. And I am crossing my fingers for the day that more treatments become an option, both in legal terms and also in wider availability. So a good example is EMDR is really difficult to access here, but it is available technically on the NHS. Whereas something like psychedelics, we haven't even legalised it. And so it's not even an option. You can't even consider it. And it, though, both, both of those things could be the wrong thing for me or for anybody else, but we don't even really have the option to explore it. We are just left with a really long waiting list for a really fixed form of talk therapy or medication. And we need to progress beyond that point. Um, and so I think continuing to talk about it and doing that, as you said, from the ground up, rather yeah. than waiting from the to for the top down to figure it out, is probably how we're going to start reaching that point. Things like this, I guess that's one of the reasons I set this podcast up, is that we have people out there who have lived experience mm. of adversity, mental health, physical health, disability, trauma, all sorts of things. Um, and actually, we have so much to learn from them about what was helpful, what's not helpful in their recovery, in their journey, preventative factors, reactive support things they want they don't want um and I, i'm really appreciative of people like yourself coming on because you know i know it takes a lot for a listener it might sound that you know that you're just able to be very smooth and just reel this off but it's a lot <laughs> to be able to talk about a personal journey and, and many people i said i've done this job for a very long time mm -hmm. it can sound that it'll be okay i can talk about that but sometimes at the, the moment it can be really hard so i yeah. really appreciate people being able to give their time mm -hmm. and, and talk about that but also that the kind of thing i've really taken away today and it's made me think about some work that I'm doing that you know just that role between physical health and mental health for example physical health and recovery from physical surgery um and and just re-educating people making people think stepping outside that box um one of the things that I absolutely love to do I definitely I need to have you on again because um I'm coming Ooh. to one of your events locally aren't I soon you have some other little strings to your bow which I actually think yeah. would make another discreet episode in, in themselves so I'm, mm -hmm. I'm reading a lot of people back <laughs> yeah yeah um because you do some fabulous co-working women business um interest oh, yes, don't you and I think yeah, if yeah. you're happy I'll get yeah. you and your colleagues back on to talk about that but I love my kind of little signature move as you call it is if there was one adversity takeaway and you have a little think what would that be um, for my listeners in terms of perhaps coping or your journey is there a little snippet or a nugget that you could give us about how you've coped with your adverse experiences in life yes I think so so something that you said earlier brought a thought back to mind to me and I'll tell a, a slightly broader story on it so I think the way to wrap it up in a bow is to say don't expect any practice you commit to to be forever as long as it's the right one today then go for it and do that thing and use that strategy keep an eye on the strategy and recognize 
whether it is or isn't serving you anymore and have the courage and the confidence to develop a new one or to change that strategy so that it does now fit. So a really strong example of this is that at a certain point, probably kind of fairly early days of my fitness journey, one of the things that I used to help me was I created a fitness alter ego for myself. And I'm quite imaginative. Um, And so when I walked onto the gym floor, I had this vision in my head of me being a different person. And it was kind of a different version of myself, but it was a bit like a stage persona. And although I didn't participate in much sport growing up, I've always enjoyed watching certain sports. And I really admire Serena Williams. And I used to kind of ask myself, what would Serena do? Even though I haven't won 23 Grand Slams or I'm anywhere near as fabulous as her. But I just admire her ridiculous determination that she has had from day one. And I thought Serena wouldn't give up. So you don't give up either was one of the things that used to go through my head. And also just putting on that stage persona, whether it's an outfit, whether it's a mental attitude does help you get through a few things. And then one day I sort of realized, I was like, is that really necessary? Why can't I just be myself? The the, the person that I actually am has is just as worthy of being here, is just as worthy of showing up as her good self. She doesn't have to pretend to be someone else. She can go and be, and she gets to be there too and take up that space. And when I look back on that situation, I think all of that's okay. All of that was a valid part of my experience. Having the alter ego and the what would Serena do question go off in my head served me at that point. And now I don't need it. So I don't need to use it. I just remind myself in a different way to carry on or to go and to show up and to be. Um, And that's a real privilege and a real increase in confidence. So honour whichever part you're at, honour whatever voice you need, whatever helps you, as long as it's, you know, a healthy behaviour, I think use it, but be prepared to change it as well um, and recognise when you've moved to a different part of your journey and when you can experience something differently and don't be afraid to leave it behind and move on. I absolutely love that because I'm just thinking of some of the people I've worked with over the years where sometimes a little bit of anxiety can be attached. Well, this got me through, so I should be doing it. And if it's not working, you actually might be moving away from the value behind that thing. And as you say, sometimes it's very time specific. That will resonate with so many people, I'm so sure. So if people want to hear more, which I'm sure they will, how can they find you? I will obviously, these will all be in the show notes as well for people. Um, So I have a website which is iambeckyhughes.com. And I post a weekly blog there. And you can also find the details of how you can get in touch with me and how you can work with me. If you want to follow along in a more casual way, I am on Instagram and Twitter as iambeckyhughes as well. Um, And those are the ways, I think, at the moment. I'm not planning a TikTok or... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> not very good at dancing don't have the patience but I have a couple of recommended reads for people if though if you would like me to share yes yeah share them now and like, I'll okay, also make so, sure I put um, them in the show notes two as well books, which I think are probably also available as ebooks e-readers um so one of the big ones that I have semi-referenced and I'm more than happy to name check here is called eat sweat play and it's by Anna Sophia Kessel. It's a few years old. I think it was published in 2016. And Anna, until recently, was the editor of Telegraph Women's Sport. She's now moved. Um, she's got an amazing new job. She's at Sky. She's on social media too. You can look her up. Eat Sweat Play is brilliant. One of the things that always sticks in my head from that book is it talks about how girls 
typically in the UK and other Western cultures aren't taught movement in the same way boys are. And it explains really well for me. It let off so many light bulbs about the PE trauma. And Mm. it basically reminds you that none of it is your fault. And we were set up to fail and the system failed us. Fantastic read, 10 out of 10 recommend. And the other one, which is the one that has got me into trauma-informed practice in a fitness way is called Lifting Heavy Things by an American author called Laura Kudari, which is K-H-O-U-D-A-R-I. She's also on Instagram, fantastic follow. Um, And that really explains to me the neurobiology of trauma and why certain primal movements that we, as we call them in fitness, um, can be real physiological triggers for traumatic memories and experiences. We'd almost do another whole episode, couldn't we, on kind of trauma-informed <laughs> personal training. Maybe when I've done so. the course. <laughs> <laughs> I will keep that to mind to have you back again. I'll make sure I put those in the show notes as well for people, yeah. but also when we do our social media promotion, we'll put those in as well. Yeah, I'll Thank you so much, That's Becky. Okay. It's been brilliant. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm really privileged to have met so many brilliant people in my career and you're one of the newer people that I've met, but yeah. it just, it just kind of works when we met and um, hopefully I will see you again. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. It has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Psychologist podcast. It's so lovely to have you here. I'm Dr. Tara Quintrarillo and you can find me at drtara.co.uk. You'll see everything I'm up to, free resources, my media work and my new COVID recovery clinic as well. Remember to please rate and review my podcast. It really helps people to benefit from the narratives of overcoming adversity if they know where to find us. The Adversity Psychologist podcast, helping you one step at a time.